I went to church this morning too, so you know, been at church all day. Can you guys hear me? It's good. Um, it is great to be together uh, this afternoon to be able to worship God, to sing songs to Him. Uh, we're going to get into God's Word this time, and um, wow, it's good to see everybody. Um, you know what? Let's go ahead and, uh, let's, let's give each other a hug here. Come on, let's all stand together, encourage one another. Okay. Let's go ahead and uh, have a seat. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Father, we thank You so much for uh, bringing us together as a family tonight to be able to study Your Word, to be able to uh, learn more about You, and uh, Father, to be able to make decisions leaving here that will uh, lead us to growing, to being more and more like your son Jesus. Father, that's our target, that's our bullseye, that's who we want to be like. Thank you so much for your word and the guidance and direction that your word provides to each one of us. I pray at this time that we would humble ourselves before you, that we would humble ourselves before your word. There are many things and many times we read your word and it's difficult to understand or we don't know why you say the things you do. Help us to, to see your word as your ways are way beyond our ways. Your thoughts are way beyond our thoughts, God. Father, you are an awesome God. And I pray as we stand before your word today that we would humble ourselves. And read it with humility. Make decisions that put your word into practice that we would walk humbly with you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of our lesson today is The Hole in Our Gospel. A couple months ago, uh, I think Marco had shared about this. And our staff, uh, we had started reading a book entitled The Hole in Our Gospel. It's by Richard Stearns. He's the president of World Vision uh, USA, and they do a lot of great things to serve the poor and the needy all around the world. And um, we read it, we discussed it. It was a very challenging, sobering time to talk about uh, how, as a church, as a leadership even, we get so focused on one part of the mission, but not the whole mission. In other words, uh, the premise of the whole book has to do with how uh, many churches, many times, uh, and many people, individuals, we focus a lot on helping somebody save their, helping save their soul, concerned a lot more about their eternal destiny than about what's going on right now in their own life. Uh, in other words, their physical needs, their felt needs. And so how many times in our Christianity we can do everything it takes to help somebody be converted, but we forget and neglect a part of the gospel which is Physically helping people, really going out of our way, going the extra mile to serve those who are 
poor, those who are needy, those who are neglected, those who need the gospel in a physical, tangible way. And as we prepare our hearts to give next week to the International Day of Giving and Hope Worldwide and just see how much Hope Worldwide has done around the world, it's not the book, but in studying the Scriptures in preparation for delivering this message today, I was very convicted, sobered, challenged by my own neglect of other people. And at the end of the day, it's not one or the other, it's both. It's all of it. It's being like Christ. And so today, what I want to do is we're going to take a little journey together and just go back and look at Jesus. I figured we don't need stats. We don't need to know all the facts of what's out in the world. We know there are needs in the world. The reality is, if we decide to become more like Jesus, we'll do something. I've been doing these Bible talks at high schools recently and going to just different high schools. I'm very proud of our teenagers who are uh, standing firm in their faith in high school, but preaching the Word as well. We started clubs at different high schools. We have one at Miracosta, one at PV High, another one at Lawndale, another one at, um, at uh, Redondo Beach High School, different high schools, just, just during lunchtime once a week to study the Word and see what the Bible has to say about our lives. And the past couple of weeks, I've gone to, the, to, to do the Bible talk, and I've started off... Is there an echo in here? It's kind of weird. Sorry. Um... I started off uh, our, our Bible talks in the past couple of weeks asking the asking uh, reading this quote and then kind of asking for a response. And uh, this next slide here, it's a very famous quote that Gandhi once said: "I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ." And so I read that quote at the Bible talk and I ask them, so what do you think about that? And a lot of times the students have no idea what to say. They're like, whoa. It's a haunting quote. I believe this is not true for many of us on many occasions, but at times there is a tendency as we, quote, mature in the faith, to get so caught up in church life and church programs and church problems and church conflict and church relationships and church, church, church that we forget who we are called to imitate and be like in the first place. So are you ready to go there? 1 John chapter 2, verse 4 through 6 says, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commands. The man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. It's a very clear passage. If we claim to be part of God's kingdom, a son or a daughter of God, to have the inheritance that God gives us, if we claim to live in Him, we must walk as Jesus did. I think we all understand, or many of us have understood, the gospel message, the good news. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and rose on the third day so that you and I may have a new life in God. Amen? And be a part of His great kingdom. Great news. The gospel. Forgiveness. No sin. A second chance. A fulfilling mission. This is amazing. But as we focus on the mission of helping people with their eternal destiny and consider that as our main focus, but neglect at times the mission of meeting people's felt needs right now. I believe this happens to us. It happens to me. And so as I studied the Scriptures, I just... I was very humbled by what it actually means to walk as Jesus did. Let me explain. Luke chapter 4 and verse 16. Let's go back and look at Jesus. Let's turn our Bibles here to Luke, 4, Luke chapter 4. It's one of my favorite kind of interactions that Jesus has here at the beginning of His ministry. You guys with me here? Luke chapter 4 verse 16 says, uh, Jesus went to Nazareth where He had been brought up. Think about that. This is his hometown, where he'd been born, where, I mean, where he'd been brought up, where he grew up. It says, on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed Free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Talk about an awkward silence. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Boom! I mean, I just, I don't know about you, but I read this passage and I'm amazed. Jesus gets into the church that he grew up going to. He reads this prophecy amongst all his cousins and uncles and aunts and people that have seen him since he was a little kid. And he says, it's, it's basically his mission statement. And then he gives back the scroll and he just sits there. And everybody's just, okay, 
And what? What are you going to say about it? Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He reads the prophecy that really is explains the reason he is there in the first place. He says, I'm here to preach to the poor. I'm here to preach freedom to prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the Lord's favor. And, you know, whether you and I take that to be spiritually poor or spiritually blind, doesn't really matter. Jesus, at the end of the day, came to take care of people. It was He was all about people. He was all about helping people's eternal destiny, about helping people's diseases right now, about helping people in their hunger right now, about helping people recover from their sight. And He was about people. After we read this passage, we kind of see what happens in the next few chapters. In Luke 4, in the next slides. You know, in Luke 4, we see Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law and exercises a demon from a man. In Luke chapter 5, he heals a man with leprosy. Then he heals another man who's paralyzed. Then he, it says that he healed many with diseases. In Luke chapter 6, he heals a man's hand and then he teaches about the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 7, he heals a centurion's servant. He, then he goes and he raises a widow's son from the dead. And then, it's interesting in chapter 7, John the Baptist, the guy who had been preparing the way for him, sends some of his guys to check on Jesus and make sure he was the guy they were waiting for and, and, and kind of, should they listen to what Jesus has to say? And in chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, that, it says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back, report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And that's only chapter 7. So in chapter 4, he just read his the prophecy, you know, his mission statement. Already in chapter 7, we see him doing what he came to do. He's all about people. I think as a church, our church in particular, we are, I think we are both, we're great at both. We're great, we have been great at both seeking and saving the lost. We've been great at serving the poor and the needy. I mean, we do this International Day of Giving every year. Even two years ago, we gave way more than what was the, the expected goal. I mean, we are a giving church. But I also believe that we have a tendency, and we can have a tendency, to get so busy and so distracted and so influenced by outside that all we would like to have is this nice, safe neighborhood church. And not realize that as Christians, as those who claim to live in Him, who are to walk as Jesus did, we have been given the task of actually changing the world. Wow! That's our task. That's our responsibility. 
God says, listen, I did all this for you, now go. Make disciples of all nations. Walk as Jesus did. You see what He did? He healed diseases. He preached the good news to the poor. He raised the dead. He set the oppressed free. Go do that. As disciples of Jesus, we are called to be in the business of people. Transforming lives in Christ. Is that not what our banner says out front? Transforming lives in Christ. It means dealing with people. And you say, but Rube, I'm not a people person. Well, I'm sorry. The Bible says you've got to walk as Jesus did. To Jesus, serving the poor and serving the needy wasn't just a once a year thing. It wasn't a once a month thing, nor was it something he needed a program for. It was just a way of life. In his culture, in his society at that time, there were many physical needs and he was around these people and so he was going to spend his time meeting those needs. You see, for us, when changing lives, when we are about people, and that is a way of life and not a program, not a slice of our schedule, giving financially to hope, giving financially to missions, giving financially to the work of the ministry, it's not even an issue. It's nothing to even wrestle with or get weirded out about or confused about when we're in the life-changing business. Are you with me here, church? It's actually, let me do that and let me do something more. Let me fill up my schedule with people. Walk as Jesus did. Two convictions I've come to just in the past couple days that have been deepened and renewed and refreshed in my life about serving the poor and meeting needs in the community and in the world. Number one, serving the poor, meeting the needs, it's, actually, it's really a love issue. It's a love issue. You know, Jesus, what I've been doing in the high schools is trying to preach about Jesus and share about Jesus and try to help young men and women see that Jesus is not the Jesus that we grow up thinking about and looking at, at the, in the pictures and churches and TV. Jesus was not holding a little lamb and singing amazing grace. Jesus was not, that's not Jesus. Jesus was anti-establishment, anti-institution, revolutionary, radical, different. The things He taught, nobody else was saying. The things He was doing, nobody else was doing. So His idea of love was totally different. 
from our idea of love. In Luke 6, I read this just this week. In Luke 6, verse 31. The context of this passage has to do with loving our enemies. But I wanted to just, even as we talk about loving our enemies, to think about just people. It says, do to others as you would have them do to you. Jesus is saying this. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to others, to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But I tell you, love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Wow. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Jesus takes our idea and concept of love to a whole nother level. It goes against everything that is normal or comfortable to quote, land without expecting anything back. Wow! What got me this week as I read this was when he talks about God and His kindness to the ungrateful and the wicked. And it got to me, I said, well, God, I thought you were supposed to judge the ungrateful and the wicked. I thought the whole reason of me becoming a Christian was so I wouldn't be ungrateful and wicked because you were going to judge those guys. But God says, Jesus says, no, God's, God's actually kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Does that give me license to go and be ungrateful and wicked all the time? No, but God is kind. His love is different from our love. His idea of love is beyond our comprehension of love. My human thinking is so limited and God's ways are so much higher than my ways that it's even difficult for me at times to even read a passage like this and like, quote, agree with this. I don't know, God, if I agree with what you're trying to say here. Because when my daughter's ungrateful, I mean, I'm teaching her how to say thank you right now. You know, when, when I give to somebody and they don't say thank you, I, you know, I, I register that in my mind. Huh, they didn't even say thank you. I'll give them just a rib breaker hug and fellowship. You know? Not a love hug, a boom hug. Do, do you see what I'm saying? We, we register it. I don't know if I agree with you, God, but that's what Jesus says. Serving the poor, serving the needy, it's, it's, a, it's a love issue. It's an unconditional love issue.
In uh, in First John, chapter three, the Bible reads: If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. I believe at times. And I think this is why we come together on Sundays is to be reminded of this. To be reminded how much we have been loved by God. How much mercy we have received from God despite our wickedness and despite our ingratitude. God has still been kind to us. And then He calls us to not just look at people and, oh man, I feel bad for that guy. No, He says, do something about it. Do something about it. That's challenging. To walk as Jesus did. You know, Jesus saw, Jesus saw needs and He did something about it. And not just did He do something about it, but He took His guys with Him. Those 12 guys that were always hanging out with Him, those guys saw Jesus meeting felt needs. Serving the poor. Serving the needy. This part of our gospel message that at times we can neglect or forget about, it's, it's a love issue. Are we going to love like Christ loves? Number two, it's a salvation issue. Let's turn our Bibles here to Matthew 25. It's a very scary scripture I read this week. And guys, this is all fresh in my heart and in my mind. So it's as even as I'm reading these things and sharing about these things, I'm I'm still kind of working through these things to to understand the depth of the conviction that I need to have when it comes to this area of the gospel of Christ. Matthew 25 verse 31. It says when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave Me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. But the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in person and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick, 
and in prison, and you did not look after me? And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, needing clothes, or sick in person, and did not help you? And he'll reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus tells this story to paint a picture of what judgment day will be like. Jesus takes it absolutely personal. Whether or not we fed the hungry or look after the sick or the needy or go visit those in prison or go visit those in need. Jesus says it's, it, it can cost you your salvation. It can cost you your salvation. If, if, you, if you do this for one of these, the least of these, you're doing it for me. If you don't do it, if you ignore it and neglect it, you're basically ignoring and neglecting me. He equates serving the poor, serving those in need, to eternal salvation. Like it's to him. It's like you're doing something for them, but you're doing it for him. If the church fails, or if we as Christians fail to serve the poor and the needy, it could cost us our salvation. I don't know about you, I read this and it frightened me. God definitely is keeping tabs on how much I'm actually meeting people's felt needs. But Reuben, aren't we saved by grace through faith? Our works don't really matter. Well, that's not exactly what Jesus describes in this passage. Your deeds actually do matter. Because our great faith in God's amazing grace produces incredible action. In my life, I'm so thankful for hope, for hope worldwide. I really am. Genuinely, sincerely. I, um, at times when I reflect, you know, on my life as a Christian, I've been a disciple now for 17 years, since I was a 14 year old. So I went through high school, I went through college, a few years there as a single adult, and married now, got kids, I mean, just as a Christian. And, you know, there's ups, there's downs, there's doubts, there's confusions, questions, whatever. At the end of the day, I'm just glad to be faithful. Amen? Amen. But at times when I reflect on my life as a Christian, I realize that a huge reason of why I even do what I do as an evangelist in the church has a lot to do with the lessons I learned in serving the poor and needy through Hope Worldwide. You see, Hope started a program in uh, 1994 called the Hope Youth Corps. And um, this was for high school and the college students from our movement of churches to have an opportunity to go into the third world nations or inner city situations to serve the poor and meet needs. It's basically to do the ministry of Jesus. We're going to go into towns and we're going to share our faith with people, share the gospel. At the same time, as we're going to build things and, and, uh, and serve the poor, serve food, do whatever we got to do to help those in need. And... Um, and what it did was it was a mission to train the younger generation to really understand the lifestyle of Jesus. 
that it's not just a slice of my time for evangelism and a slice of my time to serve the poor and need. It, it's everything. It's being like Jesus. So when I was 14, I got to go on the Hope Youth Corps. In 94, I was able to serve the poor and needy in Manila, in the Philippines. Went to Smoky Mountain. Just mountain of trash where people live. We went there several days in a row, just bringing food, bringing clothes, playing with the kids. It sobered me. It challenged me. At 15, the next year, I got to go to Johannesburg, South Africa, holding children, babies with HIV positive, meeting their families and just seeing the devastation of AIDS. The next year, at 16, I was able to serve at an orphanage in Mexico City and building homes. We went into the mountains and kind of built homes there and we got to play with the kids and do carnivals for the kids and just the joy of these children's faces when somebody just gave them a hug. Next year at 17, I was able to go to Hong Kong, China and teach English and, and do carnivals for kids there. And At 18, I was able to be part of the performance, art performance that we did in inner cities of Philadelphia and New York and Boston. It was the first year that Hope Youth Corps decided to do an internship program and invite several of us to just come and serve for the whole summer. Not just two weeks, but come for the whole summer. And as a, you know, about to, I just had just graduated high school, about to go into college, so I got to spend the whole summer. Philadelphia, New York, Boston, just in great fellowship of brothers and sisters, but seeing, wow, we're teaching kids how to, how to not have, you know, gang violence, against gang violence and, uh, you know, uh, lead poisoning and just different things. The next year I did the internship again and it was so awesome. I got to go to Cape Town, South Africa, holding babies again, orphanage of HIV positive children. Then from there to Mexico City, living and sleeping in an orphanage there. Uh, from there to Cambodia. Just the first day you get to Cambodia, you just, you feel the devastation of everything that happened there years ago. And we got to see the Siena Hospital, you know? And just, you know, a lot of us have seen pictures of it and videos. I got to see it. So cool. People waiting for hours just to get some free health care. And, and we got to do that. Like, we here in the States, we got to financially support that. It's changing a nation. More recently, Marina and I, when we got... Uh, when we were married, we were able to, to lead a Hope Youth Corps here in Los Angeles. And then we got to go to New Orleans, you know, right after Katrina, and serve in New Orleans and just see the devastation that happened there. And what I'm doing here is I'm sharing these things not to like, wow, look how awesome this is. No, it's not about me, but I'm trying to help you see the huge impact that Hope Worldwide is having around the world and how it's transforming the lives, not just of the poor and the needy, but of young people like myself giving us opportunities to develop a global worldview and see that with effort and the desire to be more like Christ, we can actually change the world. It's amazing. Many times I can feel overwhelmed by all this. Like it's kind of one more thing to do. The reality is that it isn't something we add on to our Christianity. It is our Christianity. It's living as Christ did. There's a seminar I went to a couple of weeks ago, and a famous Christian author, Andy Stanley, many have read his books, 
He said this one quote in the next slide here. And it's a principle I'd like to share with the church to just think about when we try to impact and serve the poor. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Can you imagine as a church, even this holiday season, if we were to just choose one person we could just serve and meet their need, and we know tangibly we've actually helped this person, how much that not would only do such a great thing for that person, but what would it do for your heart? What would it do for my heart? In 2012, can you imagine if we as a family, just as a family, I'm going to decide we're going to go and we're going to serve the poor in a third world nation. Let me call Hope Worldwide and just see what they have to offer. I just want to do something. You know, there's a group of singles that recently just went to Haiti. They did a Hope Singles Corps, you know. They took, took a bunch of singles and went to Haiti and served for two, about ten days, two weeks or whatever, just serving the church there. People living in tents after the earthquake. Still, Hope is doing amazing things, but do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. We can hear all the stats and get so overwhelmed. But if we just, let's just do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. So, Reuben, is our mission to help the lost be saved or to help the poor and needy? Yes! Yes! It's both. It's all of that. This is the heart of Jesus. You claim to live in Him? Walk as Jesus did. Proclaim the good news to the poor. Care about justice in the world. Get involved. Be moved by God's love and His standard of love and be convicted that at the same time as we're moved by His love, we will be judged by Him on the last day about our heart for people. You know, it's interesting. My issues and problems with sin, shortcomings, anger, purity, whatever, seem to all evaporate when I'm actually helping somebody. Whether it be studying the Bible with somebody, helping them to see the truth of the Gospel of Christ, and watching their lives transform before my eyes. Or whether it be just giving, uh, buying some McDonald's for that dude that keeps on, that begs right there in front of McDonald's. But man, when I'm focused on people, not people pleasing, but helping people, I forgot about my sin. I forgot about all my issues, all my problems. And I'm not saying to do this to neglect and reject all the things that we gotta deal with, but I'm just saying, guys, Jesus, came to this earth to help people. If you and I had decided to be to claim Christianity, to follow Christ, to say that I'm a disciple of Jesus, and we are called by the Scriptures to walk as Jesus did, is this not our calling? To help other people. I want to close out by reading this passage in Luke 5, and we're going to say a quick prayer and have our communion time as we focus our thoughts on Christ. Luke 5, verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. 
And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus, are you willing to forgive me of my sin? Willing to, to cleanse me of all the doubts and confusions and the, and the anger and the what, whatever? God, are you, Jesus, are you willing? Jesus says, I am willing. I am willing. Be clean. My question to us to close out today is, are you willing? Are you willing? When we are willing, we respond. Are we willing? When we are willing, fundraising for the International Day of Giving, the iDog, not an issue. I'm willing. When I'm willing, when I'm willing, giving to help, to serve. You know, remember the, the civil war that the Abidjan, uh, the city of Abidjan, Ivory Coast went through? Remember that? And we gave to that. Over at ch- our churches all around uh, the United States have collected almost over $750,000 to, to serve the brothers and sisters in Abidjan. And today in West LA, in the West Side Church, it was really cool. Tino Seya, one of our teen workers actually in the West Side, his brother-in-law, who was there in the trenches, in the middle of the Civil War, living in a refugee camp for two, three weeks with no water, no food, no showers, nothing, picking up dead bodies as he walked across the streets. He was there at church today. And he came in front of the church and just shared in French, and he was like, he just shared, thank you, thank you. I was trying to get him to come here and share, but they had to leave and go back to Atlanta this afternoon. But it, it, was, it, moved, it moved us so much. Like, this is, our money does something. It actually does help people, but are we willing? Jesus' lifestyle and ministry was all about helping people spiritually and physically. And then he calls those who follow him to do the same. It's not the job only of the evangelist or the paid ministry staff or your elders or your community group leaders to care about the needs of others. Evangelism, preaching the good news, is for everyone. Because Jesus was all about people. What are you distracted by? Have we become too tired to serve? I want to challenge us as we pray for communion. Let us be careful to not become the nice, safe neighborhood church. But let us remember who we are called to be like. And if we are to be like Christ, our concern, our time, our money, our passion needs to go into changing people. Changing people's lives. Let's pray. God, we love you. We are thankful. We are grateful that Jesus was willing. We are thankful that he was willing to come here to earth to meet spiritual needs and physical needs, that he was willing to just love people. We're thankful that he was willing to love us. That we can be here today reading Your Word, singing songs to You, praising You, because Jesus was willing. I pray that each one of us, as we take the cup representing the blood that was shed to 
to cleanse us from our sins, as we take the bread, representing the body of Christ, that we could fix our thoughts and our minds on Jesus and really ask ourselves the questions, am I walking as Jesus did? Am I spending all my time, efforts, money, passions into helping people? Because, Father, we are thankful that through Christ, we have been helped to find you. In Jesus' name, amen.